0: Autobots transform not you bumblebee transform Welcome back to more and less than Meets the Eye. This is a Transformers podcast wherein we are flitting between the critically acclaimed More Than Meets the Eye comic books by James Roberts and the critically ambivalent at best live-action movies mostly by Michael Bay. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips for this episode 6, which is... We are covering issues 17 to 33. There's a lot of comics, but we'll explain why that's not actually a big problem in a second. But before we get into that, then
1: it's hot it's very hot although not as hot as it has been the last couple of weeks i'm actually like on the the, whichever side the sun sets on so like (laughs) the the sun hasn't hit my room yet and so i'm actually like at a reasonable temperature in like 12 hours i'll be like absolutely roasting
0: yeah i record at the front of the house so in the morning this is this is better and yeah it's difficult because like in theory when we go to sleep we're on the cold side of the house but then like It's roasting first thing in the morning, so you you feel like you've cooked yourself overnight. In theory, when this episode actually comes out, it should be even hotter somehow, so that'll be fun, but, uh... God. Yeah, I know. Anyway, uh, yes, issues 17 to 33... So that is 17 issues, and you might be thinking, wow, that's a lot more issues than they normally cover. That's because six of them are devoted, actually I think it's five, are devoted to Dark Cybertron, which is a giant crossover event between this book and, we've mentioned it loads of times, the other book, Robots in Disguise, the one that's been taking place on Cybertron. The more, sort of, big, generic, Transformers plot-heavy book. We will summarise Dark Cybertron and pull out a couple of highlights that concern what we're talking about here, but it doesn't matter much. We can go over it really quickly. So, we're really actually talking about the normal amount a five issue volume and a six issue volume. So, before and after Dark Cybertron. And Dark Cybertron is just kind of an awkward thing that happens in the middle. If you were reading along with all of this for the first time, you probably could skip it and you'd be just fine. The couple of things that impact the book are summarized really quickly. So, that's why we're not going to cover it in great depth, even though there Those issues do say more than meets the eye. Issue whatever whatever on them.
1: Classic comics bullshit of like you're reading a book and then they want to juice the numbers a little bit. I mean, (laughs) we're not covering Marvel or DC Comics, but IDW is definitely using a lot of the tricks that those companies use to kind of like do the numbers, like even down to they make this... A fifty-four issue book, or, or 50, how, fifty-seven issues, I think, isn't it? At the end of it, like that. then they retitle it into something new because number yeah. one sell better. But number in one's reality,
0: retitles, reboots, crossovers, spin offs miniseries, its all here. Like Luckily, the more yeah, than the literally... eye side of things is impacted by it slightly less. Like, I think Robots in Disguise ends up having like three events by the time it's all finished.
1: Both books get like a soft reboot yeah, after Dark Cybertron that, like, is new reader friendly and yep. like if it was Marvel at this point in time they would have done it with like a more than meets the eye issue 28 but actually it's also a number one where Yeah, it, like, where it tw- says number
0: one but then it also in the top left is like legacy 28 like oh <laughs> comics are fucked man right let us start with a promise from me we're not gonna go two and a half hours of raw record <laughs> issues 17 to 21 are uh, called remain in light this was pitched by roberts uh this is basically the final material he's got like ironed out in the notebooks that he's released for for this early stuff. He pitched it always as the season finale. The end game was always Tyrest and, and the missing moon of Cybertron and all this stuff. So it could have acted as a... And that's all the comics you get for this, for this run. Because nothing is certain in comics. Like, we take for granted these good long runs. But, like, that previous Transformers book got to, what, 31, 33 issues? And that was the longest a Transformers book had lasted in, like, a decade. So there were no guarantees. So he wrote himself outlines up to, like, 14 issues, and, you know, this is obviously issues 17 to 21, so it went longer even than he had plotted out. But yeah, there's a reason this feels Do you know big.
1: what, like, <laughs> what, what were his issues that he, like, got to add in, or was it more he realised so, that, like, he had, he had plans for stuff and they would become two issues rather than one issue? So Shadowplay just didn't exist, straight up. Mm. So that's three issues just
0: gone immediately. I think in its place is, was that Cybertronian Homesick Blues issue which was different and then i think maybe pulling in some elements of issue 22 which we will be talking about today as well so just some of that stuff is gone but like always the other stuff was there like anything resembling an arc was always there like chrome dome versus overlord and then overlord versus everybody was always there the djd and the delphi stuff was always there despite what we've talked about with difficulty of pacing that was always planned and uh yeah here we go so remaining like where we left things last time ultra magnus had died, <laughs> but then his corpse had vanished, and we pick it back up here, where the crew are able to track the movements of Ultramagnus's floating body through a huge portal, which leads them to the missing moon of Cybertron, Luna 1. So we have Luna 2, which has appeared a lot, and one of the big mythological things for this species is the missing Luna 1. So they all go there, which proves to be what is called a hot spot with one billion unborn sparks rodimus has lost drift he banished him for the overlord stuff he has lost magnus so he brings rung with him to act as his conscience you can tell a lot is weighing on rodimus and we'll find out exactly what soon but he has acted in quite a carefree way but like that's always been tempered by magnus would tell him the exact right thing to do drift would tell him something sort of the opposite and then he would just in his own words do what he wanted to do all along so he turns to rung the ship psychiatrist to uh Steer him right a bit more. So he gets brought on this mission, even though he's not very combat-ready, but the rest of the squad are, you know, the people you would expect, generally. And they head on down, and the second that Rodimus steps off... They're they're on these, like, floating skiffs, and you get this joke of, like, we could just drive, sometimes I wonder why we even have alt-modes, which is sort of, like, lampshading. That they're, you know, they're using these skiffs to draw out this tension, because the second Rodimus steps off his all the sparks ignite.
1: But it's also, like, they very rarely use alt modes in this book because they're on a spaceship. Like, there's... Yeah. The only time they ever do it is, like, something bad is happening, we need to get there marginally quicker than if we walked, yeah. essentially. A couple of people
0: drive down corridors, but, like, you've you probably noticed we have almost never brought up... And then Rodimus drove over here, or, like, even said what all their alt modes are. Like, I didn't feel the need when saying, here's our crew, to say, and this person turned into a helicopter, and this person turned into another car. Yeah. Like, it doesn't... It's
1: very funny that like this is the whole juice of this franchise and this is a book that's just like yeah they're not really that important like some Mm. some alt modes will become more important and obviously like there's a lot of discussion about functionalism and Mm. like what an alt mode describes you to do but there's actually and i guess it's kind of part of that the interesting thematic weight of this is like this book really does not care what the alt modes of any of the characters are and does view them all as equals really and it's just a way to get
0: around it's just a thing you do It's interesting, though, because it is, like, talked about more... Than it ever is anywhere else it just isn't shown as much and I, I think that's actually quite an interesting flip of the dyma- dynamic where they normally yeah they turn into cars and watch them turn into cars but like verbally never ever comes up they're never like oh man yeah I turn into a car and here's why I have turned into a car and it was, here's what I like about flying and, and all this here they are talking about the concept of transformation and what a big role it plays socially and politically and all that but they very rarely actually change.
1: So I guess that like obviously you have the whole functionalism thing where like yeah. megatron can turn into a drill and so therefore that's his like yeah position equipment. in society yeah. mining equipment what do they do about cars are cars just like that's just a well job? Like, like you, you have just...
0: blur who was a racer like he, he was a he's a very fast car and like the racing circuit is treated as like sport like you have stadiums full of people watching them drive in their alt modes i think but yeah i mean it yeah, does, it does and, seem and like him
1: comes a Or ambulance, but um, first aid becomes an ambulance, so therefore he gets to do that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: No, but you're right, like, I I feel like the default, if you don't know what they turn into, assume they turn into a car, and, like, what did all those people do? And it's tricky because, like, so many of them, when we see these pre-war you know flashbacks and stuff most of them most of the key players that we have are not actually a ra- like you don't really see much of like an ironhide but then you're like you have Chrome Dome and prowl are both like cops and it's like i guess it helps them get around to do their cop business I-, I guess you just get a little bit more license to do whatever's if you're a car like yeah like that is
1: like it's almost like they're like white people i guess if you <laughs> to take it onto like a racial analogy where like there's more social mobility if you are born with a particular alt mode and then yeah. If you're a flyer or mining equipment, you're more prescribed. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, God. I didn't even think about that. That's, that's kind of fucked me up a little bit. Um, Yeah, I guess cars but are like people mean, are transformers.
1: <laughs> you heard it here first. Which is also why most of the Autobots turn into cars.
0: Yep. And then the downtrodden Decepticons are more planes and mining equipment and manual labourers. <laughs>
1: But, like, the other interesting thing in this is when Rodimus jumps off, another character falls off at the same time. Yeah, if you're you're paying
0: very close attention to the art, Rodimus may not be the only one who stepped off to do it. But the assumption is, he's carrying half the Matrix, and therefore him stepping off his thing. So a hotspot, like... We've, we've talked a little bit about it. It has come up, but, like, this is the first real explanation of, of like, the two ways Transformers are, quote-unquote, born. You are either forged, which is natural, or you are constructed cold, which is man-made, if you will. Robot-made, <laughs> if you want to call it. And so- there's also,
1: like, predominantly most of the Cybertronians who were made during the war were constructed cold because they needed more bodies to essentially fight a war. Yes. Is is the implication you get kind of later on.
0: Yeah. So, like, naturally, sparks, I guess they just grow from the ground in what they call a hotspot, like this. And then in the heart of Cybertron is a supercomputer called Vector Sigma, Don't worry about it. It would give out these pulses every so often that would just bring everyone to life. And then you would get a whole field of people born and they would come online over the course of like two weeks and and be fully functional. And then... One of the Primes, a, like, basically a colonizer, <laughs> Nova Prime, was like, I'm gonna need a big fucking army if I'm gonna take to the stars and start conquering people. We need to make people quicker. So they found a way to use the Matrix. They basically make their own sparks and, like, they... they they build a body and then they shove a spark in it and bring it to life. It's also called spark splicing. The overwhelming majority of the major characters are forged. Dome, Prowl, Starscream, probably your biggest ones that are constructed cold. Someone we're going to meet in a minute as well. And there is a, you know, we've already talked about the stigmas that come with, like, their alt modes. There is then a secondary stigma on top of that, wherein I believe a lot of people are... They look down on those that were constructed cold. They are seen as... I mean, in the extreme, they're abominations, they're unnatural. But, like, yeah, there is a bit of a... It has come up where, like, they're like, oh, I voted in favour of, of the, uh, more rights for the people that are spark-spliced and all that kind of thing. So, it's another interesting layer to put on this sort of social hierarchy they have. They come across a glowing green spark. You may remember this came up, the flashback with how Overlord came to be. He had a glowing green spark. He was what they call a one-percenter. Uh, we know it's actually, like, or it's a, uh, sorry, a 0.1 percenter. Just very, very special people that can do crazy stuff so they find one of these brainstorm pockets it put a pin in that (laughs) so they're then captured by a group of decepticons led by the surprising return of farmer from our delphi arc who who had been like supplying transformation cogs to to decepticons and and generally had gone kind of insane last we saw him ratchet had given him the lovely choice of transform and become infected by the plague you spread or fall to your death and uh, he has survived somehow, so... He is joined by Lockdown, who will come up <gasps> next episode looking kind of different, but it's kind of... Lockdown has had a bit of a moment in these few years, I would say. You will yeah, see how dramatically is... different he is. He's a lot more, like, spikier and, yeah...
1: This is like a year before Age of Extinction comes out, but it is, so this mm-hmm. is like May 2013, and Age of Extinctions like a year later. But they had to be drawn. It is funny to see the same
0: time. The, the, oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent.
1: Like the movie was probably filming right about now, and IDW mm-hmm. were just like, "Come on, guys, you need to put in characters." But it is funny to see. Like, I feel like there's other moments where there's more cross-pollination between the two, like the live-action films and, and the mm-hmm. comic books. But this is definitely like one of those that is happening. I think this
0: is the height of it. Is is the the episode we've got here? Today today and the episode we'll do next week age of extinction i think there's quite a lot of stuff in age of extinction that is like crossing over a little bit with these books not necessarily our books but like the books in general Um, Yeah, yeah and there's like a lot of like humans joining up with decepticons which is like not happening in this book but is happening in the much worse other book but yeah they're all working for their boss the Chief Justice Tyrest of the Tyrest Accord fame who has gone quite insane. (laughs) So he he rose to his position by helping neutrals leave Cybertron when the war broke out. He brokered like certain rules of conduct for the war between both sides so that you see these panels of him talking to Optimus Prime and Megatron and just agreeing, hey, Kill each other, but like, no, like, selling Cybertronian tech to other races, that kind of thing. That becomes this high-rest accord, which becomes a full, like, legal doctrine, which Ultra Magnus and others enforce on his behalf. He also then figured out spark splicing, so he was responsible for taking the Matrix and artificially, massively boosting the population. However, he's gone quite fucking insane. <laughs> He built a supercomputer that calculates guilt ahead of time, I think.
1: That is the main plot of Last Stand of the Wreckers, where, like, that is the supercomputer they do not want to fall into the hands of the Decepticons, essentially. Is it, um,
0: does it have, like, predestination, or is it just, like, it's a it's an algorithm for guilt, like, you don't get it's, trial, not, yeah, like, it's just... It's,
1: it's like an algorithm, so it basically just can tell whether or not you've got the capability, almost, of, like, doing right. anything.
0: Okay. So it's not quite Minority Report, but not that far off.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he then found God... <laughs>
0: decided he needed to kill every single Cybertronian that was constructed cold to atone for. Because he invented that process, he feels that this is the thing keeping him out of cyber utopia. Transformers heaven. So he has to kill them all. He also took up the habit of drilling, which is <laughs> great. He has a little drill on his finger. And he drills little holes in himself. Very, like, you know, monk self-flagellation. I don't want to go to the Da Vinci Code, but it's just where I go. Like, you know, the the guy that, like, whips himself, all that shit.
1: What is it that he's trying to... Because they say he's, like, trying to let off some things he, from...
0: He calls it, like, relieving the pressure of his guilt or something like that. You see how he does it. Like, there's there's one... He, he does one into his forearm. He's like, ah. Oh better kind of thing i don't know like i you know sometimes you get like a really bad headache and you just wish you could get just like the tiniest needle and just prick and just let the pressure out i guess that's what he's doing and it actually works yeah but well, obviously
1: like <laughs> because tyrest is really interesting as a character and mm-hmm. obviously normally a neutral party because he's neither yep. autobot nor decepticon mm-hmm. Is there any implication that Decepticons have also signed up to the Tyrest Accords, or is it just a set of laws that the Autobots follow?
0: The way they write a lot of this is the rank-and-file Decepticons are just in it for a fun time. Let's fuck shit up, and let's follow Megatron, but, like, anyone who's, like, an officer, I think, probably, like, follows the Tyrest Accord a bit more, but then... I would imagine someone like Shockwave would be like, yeah, okay, whatever, man. And...
1: Yeah, I don't know. Is it supposed to be like a, a a parallel to the Geneva Convention where it's like, these are rules of like human rights and all the rest of it I've that always you must found adhere law... to? Yeah, I've always
0: found like rules in war very funny personally. Like, you're at war. Like,
1: What are you doing? It's like boxing. Like, don't punch people in the balls and <laughs> punch them in the face, essentially. Yeah,
0: exactly. Be a gentleman. Punch them in the face. Yeah, and like, you know, there's a little group of Decepticons working for him. Obviously, in theory, the war has ended, but as we discovered last episode, there are still pockets of Decepticons who are like, fuck that. Let's go get our own little side hustle going, and I guess... This group have been taken in by Tyrest, and I guess he pays them, I don't fucking know. He did drill a hole in his head, like right in his forehead, and that is the one that made him see the light. So yeah, he's gone absolutely bananas. Like, he comes up with this magical button that when he flips it, everyone in the universe who was bo- born a certain way will die. So that's fun. So he chucks our little crew in prison. They share a cell with a couple of notable characters. One is Getaway who is tied to Skids' past, and the other is Minimus Ambus, who, they tease it out for a while, but Rung eventually realises is Ultramagnus, and the body that we have known all this time, is just a giant suit of armour that he rides around and he's actually just yeah. a little guy.
1: It is quite fun that Rung figures out because he just keeps on making a mess and trying to, like, <laughs> get at Magnus to, like, oh, I guess we should make it Are we gonna call him Magnus or are we gonna call him Minimus? For... I feel like
0: calling him Magnus is just easier for, like I know he isn't, I know that So, like, we saw that montage before where, like, Ultra Magnus surviving certain death throughout the years and going through an attitude change that is just previous owners of the Magnus armor being killed. The armor, yeah, which is they never
1: like delve into who the other owners are. Like it isn't. They name a couple uh, of them, but like they're no one that we're supposed to know. I don't think. Yeah, yeah.
0: But yeah, like basically, when you die in the
1: Magnus armor,
0: it's recalled by Tyrest, and it just sort of floats its way back with, with the dying yeah, or like, dead he, like, party ins- inside.
1: He like instills a, a, a reflex into all of them that yeah. like they press a button and it causes the suit to come yeah. back, and then so you just... that is why we saw the suit like
0: floating away after magnus had seemingly passed away but like he has survived so like tyrest brought him here fixed the guy inside took the armor from him you may recognize the name ambus that's because last week we talked about uh, sorry last comics episode we talked about dominus ambus who is rewind's ex-husband uh they are brothers indeed so rewind and chrome dome are searching for magnus's secret brother all this time the house of ambus if you will we also learned that he is a they call him a load bearer so he can like handle a ton of shit shoved on the top of his body like the armor like there's a point where like he dies again and is an even smaller ambus inside and it's just like okay what the fuck But Tyrest basically feels that he is, like, losing his touch because of what we have seen in the book. Like, he's been joking, he's been smiling, he's been bonding with the crew kind of thing. You know, he's still obviously an extreme, like, stickler for everything, but, like, in the eyes of Tyrest, who is absolute law, he's like, you've lost your touch. So, moving back to that other prisoner, Getaway, you may recall Dome read Skids' memories for him. He gave it one try, because Skids, Skids arrived in the book with amnesia, and he says... I can't decide if I like this as writing or if I think it's a bit wank, but, like... He says, like, I heard this get away and I thought it was, like, an imperative, like, hey, run. And then I realised, oh, it's a name, and it's this person
1: getaway. I don't think it's good, because... <laughs> okay. and, and there's one reason why it's not good, is because you know what Cybertronian names exactly. are like. <laughs> and they're, like, a lot of them are imperatives or like verbs and such. Yeah. And so when you hear something like getaway... You're mm-hmm. going to repeat that verbatim, like you're not yeah. going to change it somehow. Obviously, I understand it probably isn't like words that he's seeing. It's probably more like feelings. If you're just kind of getting a quick, quick vibe yeah. for it. <laughs> so
0: this is getaway.
1: He explains. It looks a bit too much like brainstorm. A bit. They both have what I call
0: prime head or prime face. <laughs> they they have uh, they have Optimus's head but recolored
1: basically. I think it's Wh- just the fact they've got the, they've got the yellow or like the yellowy bluey kind of like faceplate, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: True. If it helps anyone, Roberts insists he has an Australian accent. I think that makes all of his dialogue about 10% funnier, personally. (laughs) Um, He explains he and Skids were spies for Prowl, and they did all kinds of shady shit, including using a thought bullet (laughs) to implant. They basically tried to make Tyrest retire by firing a sniper rifle bullet that implanted the idea of resign in his head. But they botched the job, Getaway got captured, Skids wiped his own memory with a spare bullet to like, you know, in case of capture, like, destroy all the evidence kind of thing, and then he legged it and ended up with with us over here. But Tyress took the failed hit as evidence he was on the right path, so like, arguably Skids and Getaway really nudged this whole thing. (laughs) in the right direction, but yeah, Getaway was captured, and he's then thrown in with them, helps them escape. I do really like the way he, like, one of his things is he's an expert es- escapologist, and you may be thinking, why didn't you escape before? He just uses little things they all have on them to, like, MacGyver his way <laughs> out of the cell. Like, he uses, like, Chrome domes needles for injecting, and Rung's got these, like, Energon sticks, which I guess are candy. To them or i don't really know
1: like cigarettes or something i don't, I don't know, know that feels a
0: bit more like vicey for someone like rung but mm. i don't know but yeah he just takes know, he's seen little...
1: a lot of shit he's probably like having to like <laughs> cope in some way that's true
0: uh, so he just takes little things i've got on them and macgyvers them out of the cell they link up with ratchet who while they've been in the cell has been subjected to to an absolute horror show with Farmer in one of the book's most famous scenes. Do you want to run through what our friend Farmer has been doing with Ratchet?
1: Yeah, so Farmer's obviously not very happy about what happened back on Delphi, and so has decided, he one, he's mad that Ratchet has, like, taken his hands and been yes. using them himself. Not very happy about he's that. He's got some pretty cool uh,
0: replacement hands, though. Like, they turn into, like, anything, it seems like.
1: Yes, but then you obviously get the reveal where, like, Ratchet is obviously, like, tied down, and then eventually, like, he pivots the table down and, like, shows him that his alt load is sat on the table and that the Ratchet head that we've been looking at is actually just his head and his spark and his, like, spinal column or whatever, which is, like, really graphic and kind of really... It helps the book in terms of reinforcing just how much damage can be caused to, to these people without, like, actually killing them. Just like um, an
0: iconic image, just like how is the only way to top what's in the box and it's your girlfriend's head? What's in the box? It's you! Like Because <laughs> they, they, I, I want to say frame. I guess it is still framing. Like you imagine the camera, the, the artificial camera is always from the neck up and then you get that reveal that's like, that's because he's just a head and his body is in a box.
1: It's really good work from Alex Milne who is kind mm. of the the book's main artist. Yeah, um, I think he is going to leave at some point in the near future like he isn't like he he still will do most of this book but like he definitely isn't around for the full run but he he to me is kind of the definitive More than meets the eye, James Robert. You always, you always know
0: when he's taken a quick break, um, because artists tend to draw like a block of issues and then rest their poor fucking hands for a while <laughs> and then come back. And also just like the speed with which you need to make comics is not sustainable for like one artist, one writer. There's You could probably list off on one hand the number of major books that are one artist, one writer.
1: Yeah. yeah, and quite often they have to take breaks after they've oh, done, yeah. done a chunk or whatever.
0: Saga's but, been going for like a decade.
1: <laughs> yes, sake. exactly. And they had a four-year break the of that did. or whatever. They did. Basically, what's happened is is that Farmer has organised to get first aid ambulance, the two characters who we met down on Delphi to like show up and Ratchet manages to... like They're going to have a medical off for all intents and purposes where like Farmer wants to prove that he is the best doctor. Mm-hmm. essentially, and so he agrees to put Ratchet back together, and they're gonna have Yeah, a, you might be thinking, uh, how do you escape
0: see- from, a, from a situation where you're just a head on a table, and it turns out you just fucking goad him into a pissing contest, and then he will perfectly yes. put you back in your body for you
1: and then he basically brings in, brings in ambulance and First Aid and is like, cool, what we're going to do is we're going to chop them both in half, mm-hmm. and the first one to let them, get one of them to survive is the winner.
0: That may and, sound really bad, it, but Ratchet's fine with it, because it turns out, if you just make the necessary preparations, it's actually quite simple to reattach a waste yeah, yeah, to a torso legs.
1: <laughs> like you just turn off like particular sensors like it there's no there's no actual like uh, integral body parts in the legs like that's not where your spark is that's not where your transformation cog is all these mm-hmm. different things and then Farmer goes oh i never mentioned Yeah, and he then proceeds to cut ambulon in half from the head down
0: yeah vertically and- slices him str- bisects him straight down the middle <laughs> In another of the books, like most I can't, I would say Ratchet's head on the table and Ambulon being sawn in half vertically are two of the most seen panels that are passed around like Twitter and and forums and whatever of like, yeah, yeah, look at the fucked up shit that Farmer has done in this book.
1: (laughs) It is so, so graphic again like for a book in which characters die and have like awful things done to them reg- regularly it is quite shocking how they manage to make this moment land mm-hmm. I think that's the thing, uh, yeah. is
0: you, you can have them, like, shot and survive, and you just get so used to them surviving stuff that when you do something truly horrible that actually kills them, it's, like, all the more impactful.
1: I mean, like, you see the Energon just kind of, like, spraying all over the page. And yeah. it's just, and he's, like,
0: it's... like, screaming, and, like, his mouth has been cut split open while he's screaming, and
1: yeah. it horrible. it's horrible. It's horrible, and, like, obviously there is immediately... Ratchet goes to try and save this guy but he's trying to like Farmer
0: actually just nopes out of the contest he cuts Ratchet's patient in half and then just fucks off and leaves them with armed guards and Ratchet gives it a good go and it's like oh god is Ratchet gonna do the impossible and like fucking put this guy back together and first aid is like helping him he's like oh what are you gonna do he's like oh he died like 20 minutes ago
1: I've made him a gun
0: (laughs) he turns the corpse into a gun and helps escape Ratchet rules like for a character that is like you may think like a medical officer sounds really boring and his his characterization is he's kind of a grumpy curmudgeon and yet he he rules
1: Yeah, I mean I other thing is I think for all of the work that the other books do hmm. before this to kind of characterize them and like soften them by putting them with humans and stuff like that, like this one really gives a lot of these characters arcs and Ratchet is obviously it's about to get sadly truncated as higher needs are going to take him away from this book in the near future but like the art that he has in terms of i need to find a replacement for this and then also realizing that actually he probably has a higher calling i don't i, I don't know how to kind of like sum up where he ends this but obviously mm. this is the moment where he realizes that first aid is going to be the new medical officer aboard the lost light and yeah He's like,
0: not in a a few weeks, not in a few months now. You are going to be first officer. We'll, We'll start that handover the second we get back to the ship. Because, like, yeah, he came on this mission to find a successor... They picked up the doctors who weren't fucking insane from Delphi, but then he's still been clinging on to his position and making no real steps to to hand over. And he's like, you know what? This is all a bit much. I think maybe you should be for um, chief medical officer. So. Yeah,
1: and and some of that is, I think, like him and his fr- the, the friendship he had with Drift and how mm-hmm. that got kind of like cut to pieces. I mean, like again, Ratchet has mm-hmm. one of my favorite moments in. Is it Dark Cybertron where he has the conversation with with Rodimus, or is it in those uh, in the the and immediate issues, Yeah, yeah. In volume six, we'll yeah. Like, I mean, well. again, Ratchet has got all this. He's the oldest. I think so. Or, like he's the oldest that they've got on board oh, the ship. Oh no 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 no,
0: that... no! You've got like Rung. You've got Tailgate. You've
1: got Cyclonus. Oh, but of sure, of okay, the like the oldest, the oldest in terms of has lived a long life sequentially with no interruptions in terms of their <laughs> perception of things. True.
0: The oldest of the like active Autobot G1 ass people that we know and love. So Tyrest flips his kill switch, and people across the universe who are constructed cold start dying including, like, you have Soundwave, like, holding Ravage, his his beloved Jaguar guy, and Starscream back on Cybertron is, is dying, and Chromedome and Getaway both drop in front of us.
1: But Tyrus has also created, like, a soundwave <laughs> that makes people this feels, drop to the floor.
0: It feels like a hat on a hat to me. Like, he's not only got a magical kill switch, he's also got a thing that makes everybody in the room who wouldn't be affected by this because they were all forged that it also disables them.
1: But luckily, Except for the ones that are on his team. Yes. It doesn't yes. affect him, and it doesn't affect the other Decepticons in the no, room, apparently. No. But there is one subplot that we have not mentioned, oh, yeah. so, like, really, which is very important to this moment. We
0: learned last issue that Tailgate is dying. He's got, like, four days to live he's dying of old age, which is described as a very recent phenomenon. Um, They thought that they basically if no one cuts them in half with a saw, they probably will live forever. But there are recent, I think Farmer actually documented one of the first cases,
1: ironically. Um, Yeah, cybercrosis or cybernecrosis. Well, I think that is the
0: disease he develops, but he develops it because he's old. Like, you can catch it, I think.
1: His energon curdles, essentially. Which which is is why why it was
0: green in that issue instead of pink like everyone else is and so only he and cyclonus and ratchet know he's dying and he spends like two days in a prison cell and he's obviously quite keen to get out and you may be wondering why tailgate even been brought on this like mostly combat ready mission cyclonus is asked to come because he's a good hand in a fight and we'll get to what he's been doing he basically is like I'll go if, if Tailgate can come. And his secret reason is, you should get to see this missing moon of Cybertron before you die. While they're down there, obviously, Ratchet is told that Farmer's like, medical workshop is full of, like, crazy confiscated tech that, like, it's not FDA approved, but we can fix anything in this place. So, Tailgate does begin to develop a bit of hope, but... He is slowly dying and, ha- and hasn't
1: told anyone we've had things in previous issues where like he got stuck midway through transformation and that was yeah. like obviously foreshadowing this because your transformation cog is one of the first things to go and yeah. they say that like he will start losing the ability to walk and for this purpose is the most notable thing the ability to hear yes. frequencies on higher levels yes. yes so he
0: goes partially deaf which allows him to not be affected by this sonic weapon that's paralyzed them all so he jumps on his back and disables the thing and then magnus slash ambus murders tyrest with a big gun and it's like okay good they then like they have his kill switch is thought to be irreversible but they find a way using half of the matrix to like reverse the effects as they, they hook him up to some cables. During this, Rodimus admits to Magnus that he knew about Overlord the whole time, and he let Drift take the blame, that it was easy as Prowl being like, oh, are you too scared to have Overlord aboard? And then he's like, no, and then brought him on, allowed Drift to take the fall, allowed his best friend to be exiled from the ship. We saw people were like, throwing things at Drift and like, basically spitting on him <laughs> as he was exiled. Magnus in turn admits that like, he has long objected to how Rodimus does things, So, like, he was kind of in league with Tyrest, but then when he realised Tyrest was fucking insane, he then, like, joined them again. So, that is partially why Rodimus has had a lot weighing on him, is that, yeah, he has done this very, very bad thing. And this is, like, when pitching it, I think this is, like, the Guy Gardner comparison, like, the Green Lantern comparison, where it's like, he has this awful secret that, like, if it comes up, everyone will judge him. Not good. Will come up more. Skids does have a brief... Foray through this alleged portal to to cyber utopia. Do you want to describe what he sees?
1: He sees a giant glowing spark, I, or like he sees five know. Cybertrons,
0: and they're trying to yes. talk to him, and it's expressed with these symbols on the page of different colors. And he's like, "I do not understand you." And we will learn at the end of the book, like the audience learns, and none of them do, that one of these symbols is. On Luna One. So maybe they're not meant to be Cybertrons, maybe they're meant to be moons, I don't know, but one of those symbols is is on the moon, basically. It's gonna yeah. be a long time until we find out what any of that means.
1: Yeah, this book is gonna this book starts seeding super, super early in terms of it. But like I do love how this is portrayed, because as you say, like it is just five symbols. There are no words. It is yeah. truly advantage of the medium, that, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. It's it's th- that kind of stuff where it's like the like how do you portray like obviously All kinds of media have fake languages and they have language experts come in and do stuff. But this is, like, something that only really comics and, I guess, animation could do. You see a
0: little bit in Arrival where, like, they communicate with, with visual, like, inky blots that they try and turn into a language.
1: But even that is not this... And so those five symbols will become very, very important. Because I'm there's also like, one of them's a face, isn't oh, it? Oh, they do like... briefly
0: show, they show like a little model of the Lost Light. I think they show, I can't remember if it's Skids himself or like maybe it's Rodimus or Megatron or something. I don't know. They they do show a couple of faces on the lost light, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so, it's, but it's like that idea of like how is this being portrayed mm-hmm. to to this character? Like, what does this sound like? It's such <laughs> yeah. an interesting kind of like. He, yeah. Concept. He's just like I
0: don't understand you, but yeah, it, it, it's very cool how they they show it to us. I
1: think the the kind of the main issue is that characters who see this stuff start to lose their importance. I guess as About- the. As the book goes on like i'm not saying that skids isn't an important character but by the end of it he probably isn't in the kind of the top five to ten plot drivers is he even though he's the one who gets to see this image which is uh, i'm just having a look at now so it's um yeah the glowing orb of cybertron or like glowing orb speaking to him it's a picture of him an exclamation mark an autobot symbol a decepticon symbol a picture of the lost light a picture of the lost light with a a, a red a red line there. through it. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. then it's the five Cybertrons around a symbol that we all like, looks like a transformation cog or a cog of some kind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I like that the follow up is Skids just with two question marks above his head, like <laughs> again, kind of like using the language back, but in a in a subtler way. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But then he has to come back through to help them all out. But something that happens in the background is I was a first aid murdered farmer for, like, being like, oh, ain't I the worst about all of the murder he did. And while they're all busy reversing the effects of this kill switch, some, like, robotic tentacles drag Farmer's corpse through the portal and he disappears. I'm sure that will come back up. <laughs> so throughout all of this, they, they they pull it off, by the way, everyone's safe. Throughout all of this, you may be wondering, I, you know, I said we'll get to Cyclonus. Cyclonus and Will have a little side adventure that, like, they keep threatening to come back into the main plot but they never really do <laughs> they got separated from the others when they all got captured and they try and mount a rescue but like they they find the the circle of light who were missing in a previous book a bunch of sword wielding pacifists which is a fun oxymoron you know they're the religious sect that took drift in all of that. They have a big old sword fight with all of Tyrest's forces who are led by Star Saber, who in everything before this is just like a big cool designed, you know, more Japanese leaning robot. Always a good guy. Roberts was like, what if he was a colossal religious zealot um, <laughs> who wants to kill all atheists? he says God as well like a lot of them are like when they're t- we're saying God but they're saying Primus Star Saber says God and he, he says that like the Circle of Light weren't faithful enough and faith should hurt so
1: yeah yeah because he doesn't he wasn't in the Drift books obviously the Circle of Light were introduced in like mm. the initial Drift miniseries and they've become increasingly important it is obvious that like Roberts has been picking up the the kind of the more abandoned or like forgotten less
0: forgotten toys yeah
1: yeah, exactly <laughs> that's what he's more interested in like, like oh what's the Circle are like gonna do is like well cool they're gonna be yeah. the backup army in this book where they're gonna take on this and Star Saber yeah. will be Star Saber's uh, like
0: been a leader of the Autobots in certain continuity like in worlds where like Optimus isn't around anymore or whatever he's, he's just like a generic hero type who has a big fucking sword and yeah they they recharacterize him here and he and Cyclonus have this really cool Sword fight. Cyclonus is handed one of the Sword of Light's swords which like draw power from your spark, and it's commented that he has an unusually strong connection with it. They have this fucking sick sword duel where like they're above like a smelting pool, so everything's done in like shadow and everything, and you just have like Cyclonus emerging from the shadows holding a sword and just entirely my jam.
1: Yeah, it's also good because this I feel like is obviously they've kind of put a pin in a whole bunch of stories. Like we've got resolution on skids, we've mm-hmm. got resolution. On Ratchet and and Farmer and First Aid, and this is really the kind of like the closure point for now, at least. I, I, I can't, I, does it I come think
0: back? I like kind that? of forever. Cyclonus and World's rivalry comes to an end yeah. here, kind of. Like they they talk shit to each other, but like the constant threat of one of them is going to kill the other is resolved here. They spend which, some time. Which...
1: moment. There is a fun moment where, like, (laughs) Whirl ends up going like, come on, I've, like, saved your life now, we've done this together, like, surely we're bonded and then Cyclonus pushes Whirl into the the smelting pool as you said. And he gets his terminator
0: moment with his hand, like, slowly falling.
1: Yeah, and then you turn the page and it was just Cyclonus, like, imagining it and kind of, like, leaving because obviously he's got more impressing stuff to do where he's been doing this and he's got no idea what's going on with Tailgate and he's been told he's got this, like, really strong connection with his spark, which presumably is from his resurrection back in the the previous book. Like, he's got a young spark in an old body, essentially, is kind of the the implication. (laughs) I think also he's, like, like, incredibly devout. Is, is another part
0: of yes. it, is, is he he's religious in a way that like, you know we've had Drift, who's religious, and we've got the Circle of Light and everything, I think he is in a v- very different way, he's just quietly like, he prays, and he sings Old Cybertronian, and
1: yeah He goes to find Tailgate, who has obviously saved the day at this point but has found out from Ratchet that even if he knew where to find what would so, so, like, save his life, he doesn't have enough time to do it, yeah, it's too late and... like,
0: I could cure the disease, but like, your body is, is fucked at this point, so, and then... expert surgeon Cyclonus <laughs> uses this big giant sword stabs him. And you're like, oh, he's mercy killing him. Instead, this, this jump starts his spark, which could have killed Cyclonus, we learn. So Magnus, back in his Magnus armour, welcomes him aboard. And he's like, hey, you're one of us now. You risked your life to save a very popular little bot. And shakes his hand and is like, yeah, welcome aboard. I think Cyclonus will still get a little bit of side eye from everybody of like, ah, uh, fucking dirty Decepticon. But like, he is slightly... Slightly more, like, in the group going forward. and
1: Yeah, and, and it does lead to one of, and again, another nice bit of characterization is, obviously when Cyclonus found out about mm. what was happening to Telgate he scratched his face and now yes. that one of the first signs that Telgate's alive, because I think they turn the page and you don't get to start, find that Telgate has survived is that he doesn't have the scratches anymore. He's so, repaired his faceplate.
0: Yeah, it hasn't really come up, but Cyclonus has, like, full-on claws for hands. Like, I've tried to get at, like, he's from an older time of Cybertron where, like, their designs weren't as ubiquitous so you have some more unique looking characters and he is he has these like claws and he's got this very sharp face and yeah he like scratches down his he self-harms basically like he acts like he's not bothered about tailgate's diagnosis but then he leaves the room and self-harms and like world does pick up on it and he starts trying to talk to him about it and he shuts it down another nice little thing they bond about you know while they're talking World starts getting at like him looking like he does justifies him being all fucked up in the head So he's never gotten himself fixed because it would, like, force him to confront the fact that he's just separately fucked up in the head. All these these victims of Imperata, like the Senate, have been gone for a long time. Why, if none of them got fixed, and maybe a lot of them have? Shockwave certainly has a hand, but World has left himself looking like this, and we've been getting at basically everyone on this crew is deeply mentally unwell in their own special ways. <laughs> and uh, yeah, World uh, confesses that to Cyclonus, and it's just a nice little side arc. Also, like the revelation that Tailgate is effectively two weeks old. Um, yep. Because he says where he came online, and like Cyclonus knows when that event was in history, so he like fell in the pit two weeks after he was born, spent four six million years offline, and then has come on the ship and is dying of old age. So he like basically was going to have had a lifespan of like two weeks plus however long this book has been going, fucked up. And Cyclonus has been singing to him, and that's that's very cute. Some little stuff that like does not need lengthy discussion. I think the biggest one would be. Tyrest's golden robots the legislators they all board the lost light and that's how farmer ends up with the medics that didn't come down because uh, they take some prisoners while they are swarming the lost light and skids ends up murdering them all and it's all fun swerve pulls out my first blaster which is a fun oh little gun God. covered in little light bulbs that goes yay and start, oh no and stuff like that
1: yeah that, um, that brainstorm's made for him to i guess of- yeah <laughs> after the after the terrible moment where swerve killed rung or like shot rung in the head yeah. he's been given a blaster to basically practice
0: my first um, blaster
1: it's great i mean i shout out to Tomby long is the credited letter on the book but like yeah. i always love when books do something a little bit weirder mm-hmm. but obviously the the freedom to do a different color speech bubble with like musical notes and like <laughs> colored writing in it is is really fun and it's a very fun vibe. Yeah. For, for most comic books where, like, especially these licensed books where they don't tend to take much license with the the ways in which speech bubbles are presented or the ways in which dialogue mm. is kind of done. Like, obviously, like, the Todd Klein is the, the famous one where, like, he will have different fonts for different characters to kind yes. of give them an edge in terms of the way that they're speaking. Like, if they're in a more ethereal tone, it'll be different fonts and whatnot. You don't often see it in these kind of books outside of big, splashy images and, like, sound effects and the such. And so seeing the book play around with lettering in that way is is really fun and enjoyable.
0: Lettering, like, probably the least celebrated aspect of comics. And, like, when lettering is great, like, it really fucking sings yeah.
1: yeah like bad bad lettering can really get away and like, yeah. for a book like this where there is a lot of dialogue and mm-hmm. it really makes those moments when there is no dialogue on the page matter more and we will discuss one of those moments in in volume six mm-hmm. coming up in, momentarily yep. but like if you place the speech bubbles with this amount of dialogue in the wrong places in the wrong flow then it could be catastrophic yeah. and the fact that it isn't is a is a big plus sign to the to the letterers on this book yeah who uh, i think for the most is uh, from this point on will be Tombie Long.
0: So a fun thing with this My First Blaster. So Japan obviously fucking love Transformers. And you may be thinking that this book, Lost Light and More Than Meets the Eye, probably less their jam because it's just, it's all like comedy and character driven and it's less like the big sexy plot. No, no. (laughs) I don't know if it's like Universal Studios or like some kind of theme park in Japan. There is a replica that you can walk around of Swerve's bar and hanging in it is my first blaster as I prop. And that just fills my heart with joy. This does not exist in America. <laughs> I don't know if it's still up, but...
1: Apparently I... it's Swerve's Lounge in Beijing, not in... Oh, it's Beijing. Oh, It's in Beijing. Oh, it's in
0: Beijing. <laughs> oh, I thought it was Japan.
1: I'm very sorry. No, no, I'm, um... I'm, looking, at, I'm looking at now. Swerve's first Lounge found in Beijing uh, in 2021, which has, like, that's wild. I know, right? <laughs>
0: what? I know. What? Well, I guess China also fucking loved Transformers, as we will get into next week with Age of Extinction. But yeah, somebody took the trouble of building a replica of Swerve's bar and put in my first blaster hanging behind the bar.
1: I'm just, I'm just like, I'm just <laughs> can't imagine where. Like, were they just like hunting for? I don't know. I don't like, like know. a bar from a bar from the from the Transformers universe, or like somewhere to sell food. I don't know if and... it's a functional
0: bar. I don't know if it's like Harry Potter world where it's, like it's, it's, they it's need it's people expensive. to sit down and and get you know fed and. You
1: know, but, yeah, it's a restaurant there oh, okay. where like you go buy food, and obviously it's in a Transformers themed area, so it's like right. there're not many other places that would sell food, but like there's a do... more famous
0: bar than Swerve's I mean, you know, not for us, but McAdams is like the big bar in Transformers. Yeah, really fun. That, that is what they want. Uh,
1: barbecue, sport grip, grilled lamb skewers, German <laughs> sausage with sauerkraut, all the favorite um, Transformers delicacies. It literally says best drinks this side of the Lost Light. <sighs> Incredible. Right, I've never wanted to go
0: to China. However, <laughs> do we need to take an excursion to Swerve's Bar? No. Right, issue 22 is a standalone issue. It is a gimmick issue wherein Rewind had been filming for fucking ever. It's a rough cut of a documentary he had been making of their voyage. So all of it basically is footage from before everything we've been talking about because obviously rewind is dead drift is in it and drift has been gone and all of this it feels like an episode of community to me i don't think it needs pouring over but just sort of like they're interviewed there's, there's some silly capers that we haven't had time for there's like funny there's like little some, quotes there's one
1: one bit that is setting up dark yes. cybertron which is the introduction of the ammonites Oh, well, uh, I wasn't even be...
0: going to bother with them,
1: but yeah. No, like... I know, but like they—they they are a, 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 a quite a big part of Dark Cybertron. But they're introduced in this book and yeah. basically dealt with in one issue. It, it, it's quite fun in terms of they're introduced as another species that is also having a million-year war, but has been going longer than the than the Cybertronian war.
0: Yeah, and like oh, we've got we've got six changers, and like oh, every one of us is a ten changer, and like, we're all yeah, combiners. Like they're,
1: and they're having these competitions and whatnot, and and like you you say that like you've been blacklisted by the council we were we were the reason why the council was created and they're just having <laughs> this pissing match and then well goes outside and murders the the other the other leader yeah. essentially ends and their ends, <laughs> ends their war after millions of years yeah, later right. on the issue you find out that the ammonites were known as like the, the villainous ammonites and the heroic what is the name of the, the other group i don't
0: remember but yeah they basically killed the heroes to save the, the terrenals the Terranaut i mean you can't blame anyone we also have um a legendary autobot called thunderclash ...briefly comes aboard... Everybody swoons over him. He reads all of Magnus's pedantic papers. He is a practicing spectralist like Drift. He helped Ratchet study for his medical exams. Everybody fucking loves him. Rodimus obviously hates him as a result because he's supposed to be the popular one. They're on the same quest looking for the Knights of Cybertron, but Thunderclash like receives divine visions, so they don't yeah, need a map.
1: Like, do we mention the map that they have in the Matrix where like it can't be perceived? Yeah, like, you, you can look at it, but remember. you can't record
0: it or write it down or you just have to look at it and then go right we need to go left
1: <laughs> but Thunderclash is like oh I've got no map I'm just kind of like going by vibes really and this really pisses Rodimus <laughs> like the fact that they're on the same quest and he didn't realise it and everyone is like oh my god this guy's so incredible well like, the thing is
0: the Rodimus way. is the eldest boy so <laughs> he must be the coolest <laughs> he's the coolest boy and only he can find the notes of Cybertron I think my favourite line from this is like so Thunderclash briefly carried the matrix when optimus needed a break and drift says they say it had to be surgically removed like it didn't want to be taken out <laughs> it's just like there's some shenanigans they help him but like yeah like establishing thunderclash is this guy that like everybody loves and rodimus fucking hates is done here and like we we find out the whole film was being screened for the circle of light to try and convince them to join up with the lost light and they all are like wonder if thunderclash is hiring it's (laughs) it's fun they all are interviewed and say funny things i'm not gonna say them all but the recurring theme is they're all asked if they're happy and they're all kind of evasive or give a like half answer and i think that's what really again it brings this this ragtag group together that they're all They all have their traumas, they all have their issues, and they're all gonna grow and heal together. Right, Dark Cybertron. Big crossover. Uh, Lasted six months. Both books bleed into each other, so you get characters from More Than Meets the Eye in the other book. You get characters from the other book in this.
1: They're revealing like a text issue that is included in issue 22 that they get in contact with Cybertron. Yes, So that the characters on Cybertron aren't shocked that they're still alive. It's a real messy event with some art that I don't think kind of like really does reinforce like the, the, the benefit of these books. Yeah. In terms of character stuff it really is rodimus getaway and i guess nightbeat are kind of the the three who have like any juice that kind of like is actually will impact on it where like you've got James Roberts really likes Nightbeat, who is basically a Cybertronian Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, specifically
0: um, BBC Sherlock. Like, he, he does a Sherlock-style, autistic, coded reading of somebody and doesn't pick up on the fact it has upset them deeply. And, like, you know, it's a take. And, like, I like a detective, personally, and everything, so he is going to be coming aboard and Roberts really writes him quite well, I think.
1: Yeah, um, and then Getaway, who doesn't really have much to do over the course of the the crossover, which is why I want to mention him first, but obviously he's introdu- he was introduced in the last volume, but like his entire mode in this is basically reacting to how much he hates... The way that the lost light is run, essentially, and in particular Rodimus, like he yeah. he sees the Rod Pod and is horrified. <laughs>
0: well, they all Rod hate Pod. the Rod Pod. The Rod Pod is a big shuttle that like looks like a giant version of Rodimus's head, and they all openly hate it. And Getaway is just quietly like, it's a giant thing of his head, and Skids has to be like, I know, buddy. <laughs> like.
1: <laughs> yeah, but like the thing is it it it's obviously curdling a lot more than like yeah. it's played for laughs here, but it is curdling into I something think
0: because they have a long history with Rodimus. They kind of he's like their obnoxious friend, but they love him really, whereas Getaway is kind of an outsider, so he's like and you follow this person kind of thing. yeah,
1: <laughs> but, and that yeah, is quite that important is, yeah it is really quite vital to to where the book's going to go in this season two but um i will let you rattle off what actually happens in dark <laughs> and i'm sure we'll <laughs> seed in the, the far more vital rodimus optimus subplot yeah,
0: yeah. um so like what has been happening in the other book while we've been having fun adventures is Starscream has been elected the first president of of, of this new Cybertron thanks to some scheming and, and all this shit. Megatron attempted a coup and was defeated and captured and Shockwave has been scheming for like 6 million years both in-universe and texture. because I think you've read like everything in IDW. He's in some of the oldest books in idw doing this
1: this this stuff has been seeded since the very beginning where like he is putting ores like the 13 ores into various different planets and this is stuff something that simon Furman was obviously really interested in and like on earth was a like really potent version of energon essentially which is why they
0: all go to earth in a lot of transformers continuities as they're looking for energon and earth has it one planet ends up with, like, time distortion, and one, everything comes back to life when it dies, and he's just been they, fucking They around. never
1: really dive into, like, what each of the individual ores do. And in reality, only, like, three of them seem to matter by the end of this, where it's like, oh, I need the death and the life and the yeah. time and the space <laughs> yeah. ores, and I merge them all together, and I basically will yeah. create the, like, put the entire universe into a singularity where, like,
0: Everything that has ever been and will ever be becomes energy that feeds Cybertron, and it has limitless resources, and there is no time, there is no death, there is nothing, just a resource-rich Cybertron. He's been trying to solve the problem of Cybertron's resources since he was a nice senator, and his shadow play just made him more ruthless about it.
1: They they, they describe it as basically he's become a being of pure logic, and, like, G-axis- is
0: he's doing his thanos moment you know like he he's like the logical way to deal with our resource crisis is basically destroy time space and everything that isn't cybertron yes
1: (laughs) so he's the villain
0: of the book and like autobots and decepticons alike will join together to defeat him and like optimus and megatron will both deal the final blow and he temporarily regains his like senator personality and is like oh thanks guys for killing me (laughs)
1: it's 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 bigger than bullshit (laughs) It's really annoying, though, because More Than Meets the Eye has given his senator past, like, a lot of juice, and Mm. is kind of the only reason why there's any emotionality to, like, the end run of this, of Optimus trying to, like, take him down. But there's just, during the main book himself, he is just a cackling, nothing villain who is just trying to destroy the universe. Like, there is nothing there, like, there's no interactions with anyone. Everyone is just subservient to him, and if they're not subservient to him, then he's trying to kill them. And <laughs> everything is kind of, like, playing off of this, and everyone is trying to take him down, and it's just, yeah. it, it, it's so uninteresting. Soundwave and all good-
0: hates him. He never trusted Shockwave, and you just before Dark Cybertron, they did, like, twin books of, like, the history of Soundwave and Shockwave, and, like, eh, whatever, whatever. So while that is all going on, and it does end in Shockwave being defeated, and Megatron helps rodimus and cyclonus go with optimus into the dead universe which is threatening to, like that's part of his plan too it's involved don't worry and while they're doing that and we'll talk about that ultra magnus is left as captain of the lost light they discover metroplex who is a long lost titan and aboard yeah, the- metroplex the- are some female transformers and they all end up hack- helping on Cybertron eventually, but like, that's the broad strokes of the more-that-meets-the-eyes side of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the obviously it's important to, Windblade is one of these two who is the first community-designed Transformer.
0: Yep. Series of fan votes, like, should it be an Autobot or Decepticon? Should it be male or female? Should it be a car, a plane, a sub... You know, a series of votes resulted in windblade who is mm, kind of insensitively designed uh, kind of like a geisha <laughs> with like yeah. swords and like it is a popular character will end up a big part of the other book but like yeah she debuts here along with with some other female transformers and they they treat they're very like and uh they call themselves she and stuff like that so we're gonna get some ladies in both books i think it is more of a thing in in what we're going to be talking about going forward. Like, one of these ladies joins, and there'll be another lady later, and then there's stuff gonna happen there. James Roberts really wanted them to not be drawn as, like, overtly female as they are in their first appearance, but IDW felt otherwise, so they are kind of like, oh look, they're wearing lipstick, and they're like, they have a more stereotypical female frame, and stuff like that. And I think in the regular book it's a little bit less, like, look, it's a lady, kind of thing. <laughs> it is what it is. Also, like, during all these shenanigans with, with the Lost Light, there's a lot more emphasis put on lesser-used mem- members of the crew. So it's a little bit jarring to suddenly have Hound, who we'll talk about next week <laughs> as, as a ballerina who slits throats, suddenly Hound is front and centre, and he's just been chilling on the Lost Light, not talking for, like, 30 issues. So Yeah,
1: and some of, that, some of that is them contrasting it, where, like, Blur comes aboard the Lost Light, and goes mm. to Swerve's bar, and Hound yeah. is the Hound is there, going like oh, I don't even remember his name, and like obviously Swerve's insistently Like,
0: and one of the main ones. Yeah, there is a subplot here where like. Lesser-used members of the crew don't know who Swerve is. And it, it reminds me of that episode of Community where, like, all the, like, background students who have a speaking line once every ten episodes, like, they all band together and you realise they fucking hate the main characters, and they're like, oh, they're doing their bullshit again in the study room. I've got places to be, and they're doing all their shit. Yeah, as you mentioned, like, Blur still doesn't know S- Swerve's name and thinks he's really annoying. Kinda sad, but... Yeah, Optimus and Rodimus go to the Dev Universe with Cyclonus. And I don't really want to talk about it, but like, a bit I do want to talk about is while they are together, Rodimus confesses his part in Overlord. He reveals that he let the crew, he told the crew at some point, and he let them vote on whether he should be allowed to stay on as captain. 89 voted against, 101 voted for, and he has carved 89 over 101 into his hand as a reminder. Optimus is quite disappointed in his actions here and feels he basically used the vote to skirt responsibility and he's like, you could have just resigned. And It's just really nicely done, like like a disappointed parent almost.
1: The thing is, I, think, I do think it's interesting because whilst Optimus is obviously incredibly disappointed in him and it's the best writing that Optimus has had since probably the death of Optimus Prime in that first issue because he's been sporadically showing up in the other book, I do think it does... I don't there's almost like a level of like Optimus isn't interested in reform I guess True. like cuz cuz that becomes the that becomes the main theme of this book is like where we're going with this is the two co-captains are now looking to earn the respect of the crew of the Lost Light in in the rest of this book, and Optimus is like, "Oh, the moment you've lost respect, like you've lost respect, like you're you're done. There's no point in trying to get it back. What well, he took away.
0: extreme action. He's like, okay, they all hate me. I'm not Optimus Prime anymore.
1: I'm out of here." But he does reclaim
0: yeah. the name Optimus Prime in this. I think he's a
1: bit of a hypocrite, really. Um... Yeah, that's I think it's 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 an interesting thing that I don't think the other book is equipped to deal with. But no, I think... he's just
0: straight up like he's Optimus, he's good, he's the hero, he's the best,
1: and yeah, I think I mean, Roberts is like, what
0: if this is a flawed person? <laughs>
1: And I agree. I've left Cybertron to go to go fight on Earth because I can't be bothered to like. I don't want to deal with the politics that's going on on Cybertron, and it's yeah. like, yeah, but like, there's there's more interesting in Rodimus trying to get people back on his side, and yeah. I I do think there's a little bit of a failing on the book's part in that. There is a cast shift now, and some characters who were on the Lost Light are leaving, and all the rest of it. And and some
0: new people come aboard. Some
1: new people come aboard, and like I think this is like this point is when people start tracking who was actually aboard the Lost Light, isn't it? Like whenever you see like people that look at the Lost Light, the Lost Light crew is listed as basically being the second flight of the Lost Light crew. Yeah,
0: kind of. And like it's tricky because like, all the main people are staying. We get some new people, but like a lot of the background characters and the people that barely talk are leaving... And, like, it doesn't really matter, but...
1: Yeah, the thing is, yeah. but like, you don't know whether or not are those the 89 that Rodimus was trying to, like, wow. <laughs> win back?
0: We'll get into that. And then the final thing to note here is is that Megatron comes to realise he lost the war the second he started it, and he lost sight of the fact that you have to... You have to win the people, you know? They were fighting for the people, and when he started a giant war, he lost sight of his cause. Ratchet is forced to treat him, and he tells him that he always wanted to be a medic. He's really shaken- oh, Bumblebee dies in this thing, by the by. Um, <laughs> whatever. Megatron is, like, really shaken by Bumblebee's death, and, like, the final words he says to Megatron. And I don't know if the implication is that Megatron ends up with his badge as his, But he certainly holds it and is like, this is my friend Bumblebee's badge and yeah, I guess giant spoiler, Megatron is going to become an Autobot, and I don't know if he is wearing Bumblebee's badge the whole time you would think people would talk about that so I'm going to assume it isn't.
1: I like bits of this, I do like the Bumblebee-Megatron friendship, I do think it's a little (laughs) bit rushed, I wish it had been seeded in the other book earlier, but like it is nice and, because those are the two characters who are kind of going through some shit in terms of their leadership of the two opposing groups, I like the stuff with Metroplex just in terms of the the amusingness of like the, the the one page where like they're trying to follow the arrows around and then yes. they find that like Metroplex is moving around inside there's some fun art stuff that they're doing yeah, in this there is. even if it's not Alex Milne who is the as we said like the definitive yeah. artist but I'm, like, not, really... I'm not saying
0: that those issues like if you're reading Dark Cybertron which comes in two volumes because it's so big it's not that you're not gonna have a fun time and like definitely when you are on the pages that are clearly written by Roberts and are with our Lost Light crew, it's immediately more engaging, like, watching these, this group, like, fucking navigate this labyrinth of, of Metroplex, and stuff like Optimus, Rodimus, and Magnus all drink together in Swerve's bar, and he takes a picture, and it's hanging later, and it's like, yeah, that's a cool little moment, like, these three huge icons of the Autobots all getting a drink together. So let's move forwards into Volume 6. Issues 28 to 30 are what I'm going to call The Trial of Megatron. They are really cleverly told. It does some stuff flashing back and forth in time. It kind of misleads the reader quite a lot. I think it would be too difficult to do it, like, panel by panel, so we're going to tell it, like, chronologically. But they do, I, I think it is genuinely really well written. Like, oh. they, they, they
1: slow-roll reveals of, like, where certain yeah. characters are in this. Like, they early on they mention that Megatron is the co-captain of the Lost Light. They and just they say captain. Say- they just they say just Captain.
0: Yeah, and Rodimus is not shown for two issues. And we know that Optimus is is not pleased with, with Rodimus's uh, decision to not step down. So for two yeah. issues, they lead you to believe Rodimus is either not here or is dead. And that's yeah. actually quite powerful because Megatron's right. on the front cover, like, with an Autobot badge.
1: like And even most of the characters on that first issue are mm-hmm. mostly the new cast, because what, yep. it's, it's Megatron, it's Swerve, it's Tailgate, it's Nautica, it's Nightbeat, it's First A its skids, its getaway and... A lot
0: of the newer faces Yeah, exactly. And there was a very conscious effort in this sort of soft reboot to, like, maybe shine a light on some of the people that haven't gotten as much love, and obviously we've got some new characters. Um,
1: Yeah, that's that's things. I think the thing this first five issues do is they really do highlight characters who... Most of them are new, but some of them are, like, moving up in importance in the cast yeah. for all intents and purposes. Like, the first three issues are very much... I think the juice of those is coming from the trial. Those are definitely mm-hmm. the pages that are, like, the most interesting. I should
0: very quickly... Like, Nautica... Like, we've, we've talked about Nightbeat, he comes aboard. We've talked about Getaway, he's now part of the cast. Megatron is coming aboard. I think you probably know who Megatron is if you've taken any interest in this podcast. Nautica is, is the one of the, the new female characters who comes aboard... I love her a lot. She is, like... She's from a different planet called Caminus, so she's also kind of neutral. She doesn't really have any strong prejudice against Megatron. Like, she calls him captain and seems to sort of respect him. She is a massive bookworm. She is quite socially... Like, she talks too much, I think. She's a quantum mechanic, which is very much... Pun intended, because she literally fixes quantum engines with a spanner with a a, spanner, yeah. a wrench.
1: <laughs> she clicks it with a wrench, which is very, 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 very obviously playing on the sonic screwdriver from Doctor Who. Yes.
0: I like her a great deal. She She has a fun dynamic
1: with a lot of the characters. It's nice having another smart person. Not that this book is. is, like, devoid of smart people, but, like... Yeah. I feel like a lot of, like it it is like ratchet it's brainstorm it's Perceptor, Ratchet brainstorm yes. and her are kind yeah. of like the, the really smart ones yeah. oh yeah and Perceptor as well who's yeah, but... who been fading back in yeah. prominence in terms of like main characters I feel like he's one who like early on you're like oh yeah but perceptor's like gonna be one of the main guys they and made a deal that, that they got of...
0: him early on and then he doesn't do anything and then he's suddenly a big part of remaining light and you're like oh what? But yeah, it is a little bit disappointing that like we add these new female characters to the continuity. Like RC has been in the other book treated fucking horribly. And we'll get yeah. into that in the future. But like only one of them comes aboard The Lost Light, so we've got one token female character and I think she rules. And we'll get more. So, yeah, chronologically, Optimus insists that Megatron get a fair public trial because there's this perception that the Autobots just do what they want, so it wouldn't be a good look if they just executed Megatron behind closed doors. Prowl is the part of prosecution because he's chief cop. Magnus is the defence because he respects the law, so even if he hates Megatron he will defend him fairly. Optimus gets to be the judge, so I would posit that the Autobots are in fact above the law and are hypocrites, as he has named himself Judge.
1: It is wild that, like, the prosecution, the defense, and the judge are all proudly wearing Autobot badges. (laughs) Like... We have a, a planet full nice... of
0: neutrals. They would have been the best people to be the jury and the judge, in my opinion. <laughs> like Windblade could have been the fucking judge. What a great way to introduce her to the book and say, no, she's she's a big deal now. Uh, but no, Optimus is the judge. And Meg- Megatron will eventually call this out. Like, I'm being presided over by my fucking nemesis. This is not fair.
1: <laughs> the overwhelming sense that you get from this is that, like, it's inevitable. They talk about either he will be in prison for the rest of his life in kind of, like, status, or he will be Executed. Yeah,
0: they, they do reel off everything he's done, and like, they're like, why are we bothering with the trial? Like, Rodimus and Prowl are like, execute him. Like, Rodimus even says, you're going to die and you deserve it. And it's like super fucking intense. And like, he pleads guilty, but they go through with the trial anyway. They rattle off some of the stuff he's done. 4.6 billion people have been killed on Cybertron as a result of the war. A hundred billion aliens have died as a result of Transformer conflict. The key thing there is Transformer conflict and the war. Megatron started the war, he did not personally kill 105 billion sentient beings, and the vibe of the trial will shift in a way where he's like, you are kind of trying to get away with an outcome where it sounds like I personally did everything and you guys never killed anyone. Which is fair. <laughs> he violently refuses, they-, they want Chromedome to inject him, because it's admissible in court but, yeah, and it they, would make the trial go faster
1: because they basically want to find out how, like his point of view on everything and yeah. if they don't find out his point of view then they will just spend millions of years hashing out over like, <laughs> every conflict the tiniest every, detail. Cer- yeah. every yeah we Especially as readers know
0: that his his intentions were pure because in that soundwave issue i mentioned soundwave can kind of read minds by the way. and he like looked into megatron's mind and like Knows that he genuinely wants equality and, and every all of this stuff. But yeah, Megatron is not about it. He He's like, you will have to kill me if you try and inject me. And we know that like when Overlord took an interest in, in Nemo Surgery, he shut that down immediately, killed his teacher. He seems quite adverse to anything to do with forcibly entering one's mind. So let's remember that. So he initially does plead guilty and is like, yeah, do what you want. When Starscream takes the stand and takes the opportunity to just humiliate him publicly and declare that he's just an idiot and, like, all the Decepticons were taken in by a con artist who was fucking terrible at war, it has the opposite effect. Megatron is so pissed off, he changes his plea to not guilty. He exploits a loophole in the legal system, wherein he has the right to be tried by the Knights of Cybertron, who the Lost Light have theoretically been looking for this whole book. Might sound, like, fair enough. Most people don't think the Knights of Servitron actually exist. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. how are you ever going to find them? So Optimus places him on the Lost Light as co-captain on the condition he publicly denounced Decepticonism.
1: I love all of this, because like, I love... The Starscream speech is probably the best written that Starscream's been in a while, and I would love to see <laughs> I would love to see Roberts have written the Cybertron book, yeah. especially as the other book is now going to be Earth-based for the most part, <laughs> and Cybertron will be a, a Yeah, be like, like just like let him. him
0: do what you've left behind if you want to go do your Earth book but, I mean, he was busy already, so
1: Yeah, no, I know, and he's the kind of writer who like pours everything into into the one book. He can't be juggling kind of like two to three yeah, books, yeah, especially yeah. with like, how dense all of this stuff is and how early on a lot of it is is seeded but yeah like the Starscream speech is so good and basically it ba- just makes Megatron go like I can't let Starscream have this final win on me yeah. like Starscream, Starscream basically comes in and goes like I'm gonna punch just him in the gut whilst he's down him. and make yeah. Yeah, whilst, whilst he's like at his lowest point and like win I will prove that I have I am the best I am now in charge of Cybertron during peacetime, I've done what he could never do, and instead it makes Megatron want to survive and he is authentic in wanting to repent, or like to make He says that
0: if we find them like, they're also trying to find Cyber Utopia which Skids ostensibly went to when it was the floating planet there is like this thing where Cybertron is kind of fucked, and he is like, let me find us a new home, let me solve this big mystery for us, and then if you want me to die, kill me He's swearing up and down. Sure, whatever you want, but don't let Starscream have the last word on my
1: life. I do also like the reveal that, like, when they have the case on Luna 2, mm. this was always in the back of Megatron's head. Was, yes, like this was his I'm backup D2. plan. Like, we, we never find out, like, what his backup plan was in case of, because, like, I think he would have accepted the execution if it was coming for him, but I guess it was, like, it was more if Optimus starts to drive it into a, a kangaroo court or whatever, where, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It basically, like, pinning the entire negative outcomes onto Megatron he's like no 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 I'm not I will not take sole blame for everything that went wrong in this conflict he
0: keeps quiet for like he just sits there and takes it while everyone just rattles off everything he's done and he's pled guilty to start with so they're really just going through a formality but then once Starscream's pissed him off and once he's deployed his backup plan he does start like pointing out hey my fucking nemesis is the judge and you're pinning the entire war on me and like when they come to this outcome privately of like he's gonna be on the last light Prowl is fucking furious, and Magnus, of all people, is like, you can't just shop around for a criminal justice system that best suits you. And it's like, yeah, no, you can't do that. Like, <laughs> cause he's like, right, we'll just have the trial again on a cause it's the moon specifically that has separate laws, which include the Knights of Cybertron, and if they had this trial on Cybertron, this loophole doesn't exist. So he's like, we'll just start the trial again on Cybertron, and then he can't do this. And like Magnus is quite right, you can't just keep trying different courts until you get a verdict you like.
1: What what do you think of Optimus's speech that
0: he writes him? So it is what it is. Like I like that Megatron is like distraught to have to have read it. Once he's finished, he's like head in hands, like what have I done kind of thing. Why don't, why don't yeah, you... I think it's
1: it's it's a bad speech, is the kind of the exact obvious bad speech that Optimus would write, where he again it pins a bit too much on it and it's a well written speech in terms of what he's trying to do, but I think it's well written to be mm. a kind of polemic, one sided view that Optimus would hold after after this war like it isn't as even-handed as it probably should be yeah absolutely
0: and you may be thinking like you know shouldn't rodimus get a say and like who is in charge of what has been his ship what has been playing out during the trial is rodimus is kind of forced to admit they haven't made much progress like they've had their adventures but they haven't really done a lot he tells optimus he broke the matrix half that he has and he's fucking furious and he's been approached with an offer of the list of names who, because it was an anonymous vote, the people who voted to chuck him off the ship. And he's deliberating over whether to read it. His instinct at first is like, no, don't show me that, that's fucked up. He eventually caves. I don't know if it's, like, implied that all the testimony that's being read is, like, getting to him, and he wants to read it. He does eventually read it. You mentioned it earlier with Ratchet, why don't you... Talk to us about... Yeah,
1: so, like, it's interesting, it, like, because... But he's been given this list, and he's obviously battling to find out... He wants to find out who they are to make amends to them, because that's the kind of person he is. He's not doing it because I think he wants to punish them. I think Rodimus is genuine in terms of, like, trying to win their respect back, but...
0: He genuinely wants people to... like. He's not, like, I'm cool and everyone must love me. He wants individually each person to, like, be cool with him, kind yeah. of thing.
1: Yeah, and so he reads it in a moment of weakness, which could basically... I, I, do they say it could be like it's an arrestable or like an executable offence essentially? Like because he's hacked, yes. he's hacked into well, what he should didn't. be a pr-
0: He has been presented yeah. with some by somebody else who hacked it
1: or says that they hacked it. Because yes, he goes to Ratchet, who at this point, like with Magnus involved in the trial and uh, probably a lack of respect for Prowl and not wanting to reveal this to Optimus, he basically goes like, "I've been given this list. What do you think I should do with the information that's being presented to me?" And Ratchet goes like you know exactly what you need to do, but also, if you have read this list, it's fake, because my name isn't on it. Fucking ice Uh,
0: cold. (laughs) What a wonderful little thing to drop that even characters we know and love have voted against Rodimus. And, like, it made sense for Magnus to not approve of Rodimus, because Magnus is all about the rules, and, like, there's no personal feeling in it. Ratchet is a more, like, emotionally intelligent person, and upright, morally right person and he
1: and you can tell that the thing that's really got to him is the fact that he may drift take the fall for it yes the burgeoning friendship that they've had and again like it's not it's so good to see this book building on these relationships even in the course of what we're we're 20 30 issues in at this point and obviously mm-hmm. five of those were given over to dark cybertron but like within the 25 issues of doing this stuff like they've managed to build that as a, a contentious relationship into being a friendship that's now been cut short and it is a shame that like the Drift Ratchet part of the book is going to take place elsewhere, essentially, from almost this point onwards. Yeah.
0: So that brings us to the present. All of that had been happening immediately after Dark Cybertron and then six months passes. Megatron is co-captain of The Last Light, they do try and convince you Rodimus is, is gone and it's all just Megatron's ship for a while. He's kind of steering them in a slightly better direction. He gives lectures on the history of, like, what they do know about the Knights of Cybertron that, based on crew chatter, are actually quite helpful and informative. Magnus ends up sort of agreeing with him more than he'd like because they have sort of a shared sense of discipline. I mean, some people fucking furious about Megatron being aboard, Swerve being one of the biggest ones, but it's kind of going a bit smoother than you might think. He's in therapy with He wants Rung to write a sequel to to his book. That's all. I I love uh, Rung asking him, like, so when did you decide that the universe needed conquering? Kind of thing. (laughs) They find a coffin drifting in space, which is eventually opened up, and it has Rodimus inside of it. A dead Rodimus. And that's part of how they, like, try and convince you that Rodimus is gone, because he hasn't been around, and then when they do show him, he's in a fucking coffin. He is alive. Do not worry. So the reason the coffin gets opened (laughs) is... Trail Cutter gets really drunk and is like, I'm gonna steal some of Megatron's, as he calls it, super fuel that is kept in the medical offices. It's actually what they call fool's energon, which weakens Megatron. Because you may be thinking, probably not wise to put, like... Cybertron's greatest warrior and most least trustworthy guy on this ship. He gets drunk, he's like, oh, this will be super epic. And then, like, over the course of this, he ends up accidentally opening the coffin, which they've been treating with quarantine. Megatron kind of straightens him up and is like, you're going to be chief of security because you lack purpose. They're trying to get at, like, Megatron is installing a bit of order when it had been a little bit of a, like, inmates running the asylum kind of mission. Like, everybody do what you want actually do what Rodimus wants, and then Megatron's like, right, there are rules to this, and we're gonna have structure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's a fun little thing, like labelling things in the room during his, like, drunken escapade but like because Trailcutter is such a minor character we haven't really bothered talking about him.
1: He had a single issue spotlight which was seeding in reality like that was the one where they find Metroplex's thumb which was so important right. during Dark Cybertron but it was literally just setting that up. I think he was he was there early cuz they obviously wanted the force field in those first 3 issues but like yep. he fell into the background yeah. massively. The stuff on the last light is more giving you a vibe of like where all the new characters stand in relation to each other yeah and
0: brainstorm has kind of taken nautica in and she's you know reporting to him and jabbering at him and she he doesn't really quite know what to make of her it seems
1: yeah they've <laughs> reprogrammed the legislator to be security for for swerve's bar yes it the, just says 10
0: over and over again there's a whole thing with like what they've been quoting and you know, it doesn't matter but yeah swerve has one as a bodyguard or as a, as a doorman i suppose so the coffin is it, it's dressed up in spectralist Garb, Drift had been trying to convert Rodimus. They believe the coffin is from the future. You may also recall that in the very first issue, there is a a transmission that is like, you know, don't look in the basement, that was Overlord. Don't open the coffin, is one of them here is our coffin so stuff seeded in the very first issue is coming around yeah rodimus has a real like crisis of like i'm looking at my own body kind of thing they settle on it must be from the future and we get this really funny thing where rodimus tries to cut his own arm off Um, (laughs) he's like well the body has two arms so if i cut mine off I can't become that body. And he says, better luck next time, destiny. I think Rodimus really comes into his own from the episode we're talking about. Like, you, you've you talked about how, like, I've said how Rodimus is, like, my favourite character here. And, like, that's kind of funny to you because through the first, like, four volumes, he's barely fucking doing anything. I think giving him... Getting to his, like, big, big dark secret of he knew about Overlord and all of that. And the stuff with the vote and all of that. I think that makes him more interesting as a three-dimensional person instead of just a like wisecracking hero. And then I think Megatron giving him someone to bicker with. <laughs> is really Yeah, I good. think the
1: issue was was that Drift and Magnus, whilst they offered opposing sides, they didn't really curb him. And so you've got all these characters that are ostensibly advisors and that's not what Rodimus needed to kind of bounce off. He needed an authority figure and either above him in, or adjacent in
0: Optimus to him a bit like judging him, which is why those those lines of dialogue stand out to us and now you've got it in Megatron who is like he has been appointed his co-captain and like he is this towering figure of Cybertronian history and like they don't like him but like he is like a legend so like yeah, I think it really helps him be the character I love.
1: But yeah, it, it's also helped by... You've got Megatron, who is his equal, ostensibly. But yeah. you've also got the vibe that there are people on the crew that don't like the way he's doing things, and in a yeah. different way to what Magnus or Drift kind of would disapprove of. And yeah. like the vote allows them to put more weight onto those characters who maybe didn't want him to stay in charge mm-hmm. and gives them more fertile ground to have like Cause, th- those characters do things
0: yeah because he's only in charge because he he was like here's my plan and like enough people were like all right and then he's captain like nobody voted for him to be captain he just by force of being such a strong personality he was like i'm gonna be fucking captain who's coming with me and they're like all
1: right you know what the eighty nine eighty nine one zero one 89 101 ratio is no. It's 47-53. One of those cursed ratios, as in, like, the the Brexit ratio. The, oh. like <laughs> Jesus.
0: Had that been done at the time? No, it hadn't. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Apollo gifted Roberts with the curse of prophecy. I mentioned not everyone's thrilled that Megatron's aboard. World takes a shot at Megatron. He's, like hmm, I sure did almost kick you to death in prison a few million years ago. I assume you're gonna come for me as revenge. I might as well strike first. He fails because Megatron has a horror show of a body now. He's <laughs> been through so many body swaps and emergency surgeries and modifications that, like, well, like, punches into his torso, but, like, loses his arm because he has, like, portals and shit inside of him. It's It's weird but kind of cool.
1: Yeah, like, he because he's got the space bridge inside him and all the rest yeah. of it, it's just, it's really fucked with his innards, and... Yeah.
0: We know that Whirl is... He says he just did this to, like, I better strike first, because you're gonna come at me, when there's no evidence Megatron was gonna do that. After their little skirmish, Whirl does radio someone, and is like, yeah, he didn't take the bait. So, there is somebody trying to, like, goad Megatron into a fight. During the fight, he claims that he told every Decepticon Whirl gets to live, so he's like, you've never been in a fair fight, which Whirl takes very personally.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably, like, one of the best Whirl moments that Capcom is, like, well reckoning with the idea that, like, Megatron does have a grudge against him, but that grudge is coming from, I don't want you to die, because He's like, I you want-
0: showed me that words aren't enough. You showed me you need force to get your way. So he's, like, pinning his entire origin on Whirl, and that's a heavy thing to do. And then it's also, like, all World has is fighting and violence, and if you're taking away the legitimate legitimacy, legitimacy of his ability to do those things yeah just fucking destroying world with just words basically (laughs) pieces of the ship start vanishing so they order a full evacuation the entire ship disappears nightbeat notices it first uh letters from signs start vanishing and he was talking to chrome dome who it seemed like he was doing well with the death of rewind but he has taken to locking himself in his room and just watching the message on repeat. And it changes, slightly. And he's like, ah uh, Nightbeat, the message from my dead husband changed. And Nightbeat starts to be like, you're crazy, dude. But then Nightbeat sees a ghost of rewind. They call it a data ghost, the weight of information, these kind of wanky sci-fi terms that come into like Doctor Who and Hitchhiker's Guide territory style sci-fi where like, just abstract ideas that that don't adhere to to science. (laughs) They are all forced to abandon the lost light as it started to vanish. And that leads us into issue 31, which is called 20 Plus One. It's another gimmick episode. <laughs> I've called it an episode. I was going to say it's like a bottle episode. It's wonderful. They're on several shuttles. We are treated to just one of them. It's Megatron and a group of people who basically are not the main cast for the most part.
1: Yeah, there's there's a few people who are, like, members of the Lost Light who've been there since the beginning. Like Cyclonus is there. Yeah, Cyclonus, Skids, Chrome Dome, Swerve. Ratchet, like Hound as well, who's obviously recently become... (laughs) But, like, those are the ones who we've spent time with. Yeah. Although, obviously, very important for this issue, Skids was not on the Lost Light when it left Cybertron. Yes. True becomes very important because basically what this is is Nightbeat's time to shine in terms of he- basically as people start vanishing, like l- the lights are going off, and they're trying to figure out why people are going. And Nightbeat is like, right, I need you to reveal the most private shit about yourself. Were you constructed cold or were you forged? And
0: we see like a lineup of of headshots, like a, a roll call. You would call it in comics. A lot of comics have these where like, especially when a series is new, they will put like small bios of the crew of the cast at the end so that to help readers and you're presented kind of with one of these and like they keep bringing it back up and they put new information under them so it's like here's everyone's blood type here's how everyone was born stuff like that and like some of the crew are vanishing like they keep doing a head count and suddenly there's there's fewer people so some of their portraits are like grayed out and it's just I love that kind of thing in a comic book of like, but, like they... the meta the medium
1: yeah but he's also like obviously Roberts has gone through and like actually put thought into like what everyone would be because obviously like the whole thing is like none of this makes sense. They're all gonna be having wildly different different backgrounds and stuff like that. So like Ratchet is the one to say like, look, I've read everyone's medical records. I know what I know how everyone was created. Like that isn't the reason why it is. Yeah. And they start getting into like what's your spark type and they introduce like so much terminology to define like what the yeah. <laughs> what type of spark There's have.
0: a there's a fun one where nautica was originally listed as estriol positive, which basically means woman positive, <laughs> and Robert's realised, oh wait, that was fucking offensive of me. So if you're reading it these days, it does not say that. It says, like, ferrous negative or one of the other ones yeah. he made up. But he made one up just for her that, like, people quickly pointed out, that sounds a lot like you're saying estrogen positive or, like, woman positive. And that got changed in the edit
1: yes there's another there was another change where like i think when they go through a list like the one percenters in the previous issue they change it from being a character who i don't even know has been introduced at this point and they change it to grimlock so obviously they're they're, right. they're moving stuff around depending yeah on what they so want to these, things,
0: do these things happen i mean the mystery will eventually be resolved that like everyone who wasn't on the original crew vanishes and we're left with six Well, Seven. Um, I'll get into that in a second. Skids, as you say, they found him after they launched. Megatron has obviously come aboard post-Dark Cybertron. Nautica, same... So the crew are gradually vanishing one by one until all of the original crew are gone and we are left with just these people, and then they stop disappearing. So all of this stuff about trying to find a reason and a pattern is kind of for now, but it does lead to some really interesting conversations. Like, we learn there's another horrifying wrinkle on how they're born. MTOs, which are made-to-order soldiers, where they basically... Try and get them online in like a day to fight in a war.
1: Yeah, they used to have to have like they used to have to pass ten tests. They reduced that down to three eventually. And yeah. Ratchet is like, I think that's a reason why there's a level of like I feel less intelligent. or I can't. What's his phrasing? Because it isn't. Oh, like, they're more
0: likely to experience miracles or, or think that's it or be religious. And he's trying to equate being dumb with believing in. <laughs> spiritual things it feels maybe like a commentary on how like one of my favorite pieces of trivia of all time is the u.s army invented the multiple choice question uh the multiple choice exam because they needed more people to pass to get into the military and people were too dumb so they were like we'll give you the options and you can just guess and still get into the military so yeah
1: like there is a there, there higher proportion like the smart people will get in still but like we will also allow yeah an additional percentage of people who've just been like writing down random yeah. answers essentially so
0: they were just like
1: yeah they were just building people ready to like you can almost imagine it as
0: like mid drop they're bringing people online and like, right ready here's your gun go that's fun. It's pointed out that Tailgate is a is a hypocrite to hate Megatron, but say that Cyclonus is good for everything he's ever done. Cyclonus kind of tells him off for pulling a gun. I should say actually, in the in the issues during the trial of Megatron, Cyclonus is like very warm, openly to Tailgate, and it's like you were very missed and stuff like that, which is all quite nice. Which um, also
1: gets led into him being very mad about the way that Getaway Getaway be is because... like
0: hyping him up a bit. He's like, "Oh man, you were so brave to like confront Megatron," or like, "I hear." you save the day and, and remain in light and and cyclonus is like really jealous basically it's uh, the whole thing
1: the other interesting thing that's kind of happening in this issue at the same time is you've got them trying to figure out what's going on board the ship and the thing that makes them realize what it is that the fact that like the people who are left weren't on the original lost light is they've been telling the story of how they found the lost light at the same time <laughs> and how it was drift it was riptide. riptide yeah and it was Blaster, no, not Blaster, Uh, who's the... Somebody. Yeah, so Riptide and Drift are the two who are basically, they buy the Lost Light, and Drift is like, I've got a feeling about this ship. And so he buys it from two characters who are chirolingual, which basically means they communicate by a touch. Speaking Um, hand
0: is is a thing that is thrown out, which I really like the phrasing of.
1: And, like, they buy this ship for more than it's probably worth, and they see fireworks go off calling it the Festival of Lost Light, which is how the ship got its name. But later on in the issue, Riptide reveals... I went back, just a gut feel. He wanted about a receipt, them. I think. <laughs> yes, it was a receipt, but also a gut feel. And then he overhears them talking about how there was this a smoke. spark eater on, in the basement. And so yeah. basically, he's like, um, what the fuck? Punches one of them in the face, gets punched out, wakes up two days later, and missed the Lost Light launch. Yeah. So even though everyone else is treating him as like he's always been there all along, he actually missed the initial... Right like the initial trip yeah. and that's what makes nightbeat realize oh shit like even though everyone's treating you like you're yeah. a you're an old friend you weren't actually here for all the adventures
0: yeah. and the the speaking hand thing comes up and also the 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 issue title comes from the plus 1 is ravage has stowed away aboard the lost light when it took back off Ravage came up in our Revenge of the Fallen episode, is like a little big cat, like a a jaguar, whatever you want him to be. He just turns from that into a cassette, he has no, like, robot mode, if you will. And he's been, like, hiding in the shadows, observing Megatron. He, like, is knocked out briefly, and Megatron holds his hand, and they, they have a hand conversation, wherein he is like, they seem to all trust you, kind of thing. And it is written in a way where Megatron is, does come across a little bit more underhanded than he's presenting himself. So he doesn't disappear either because he wasn't part of the original crew. It's a really fun issue. Lots of little character moment. Lots of time yeah, for people who haven't yeah. been around.
1: We um, kind of haven't talked about it, but like I do think this is where the book kind of like has reached. Like it, it's now really singing. Like yes. the, the the finale vibes of the previous volume are really good, but it does kind of feel quite. It doesn't feel sudden, but it definitely feels like, oh, like, the book's just getting going, and now you're kind of, like, wrapping up all these plot points. I think but openings
0: the, and endings have a natural sense of drama that make that elevates them, and, like, this is, like, this is what the normal book can be. And, and like, it, yeah, as you say, it's really singing. Like, when I I said already, I when I think of this run, I think of Shadowplay, I think of this, I think of what we're going to do next week, or two weeks' time. It's
1: just fun. The issue ends, and they basically find a destroyed lost light. Mm-hmm. Like very near to where they obviously were, but obviously, like, it it no longer disappeared, but now completely obliterated with um, some red kind of webbing (laughs) floating yes. between it which we'll find out is actually like what do they call it? quantum quantum foam
0: I think they call it
1: quantum foam yeah which is basically like the the engines are leaking their yeah. fuel out into the universe but like the what, what the universe is like breaking at the seams is how nautica yeah. kind of like describes nautica it Nautica says,
0: like, like the lost light disproved itself and that's why it's vanished but then the new i They think it's from the future, Nautica will come to reassess that actually, when it tried to make that big jump at the beginning it looked like it blew up, it actually sent the Lost Light to two different locations at once. There have been two Lost Lights, and the universe has been turning a blind eye while they've been far apart, but as they have come together, through the coffin and stuff one of them cannot remain so the lost light we know has vanished and this lost light remains and she believes if they turn off the engines the, the crazy quantum bullshit and the engines the original one will come back yeah, and i, I do really do. like that getaway says like when she's trying to explain all this he says, you've just said the same thing with different words. And then Nightbeat says, and you've just defined a definition. Which is <laughs> just good, good writing.
1: I really, really like the subtle thing in the background of, like, this Lost Light actually went to the right location. Mm-hmm. Like, the other Lost Light got well, lost. Where they were trying to was, go, yeah. Yeah, yeah and they accidentally stumbled across all this other stuff. But, like, this one went in the right place, and they could follow the Matrix map in a way that made sense, mm-hmm. and it completely fucked them. Like...
0: Yes. Yeah. It seems everybody got on with it. There was less shenanigans. Like, one of the things that makes them think it's the future is there's a poster for a play that, like, a character was only recently talking about writing, and the implication is, without all the distractions that have been great deal of fun for us to read, they, he was able to just get on with it. But, yeah, they, they, they find the corpses of everybody we know and love. Everyone in the crew is dead. They will come to realise it was the Decepticon Justice Division. They came aboard and murdered everyone, including Overlord, who was still in the basement, had his head cut off. You'll recall when we last saw the, them, they called off their attack because they picked up Overlord's signal, but then we did not see them during Overlord's rampage. <laughs> It's because they found this lost light. And they came aboard and they fucking slaughtered absolutely everybody. Megatron recognises yeah. their, like, the way they kill people and they'd all been put into their alternate modes so that their transformation cogs would still be warm. You remember Tarn has an addiction to transforming and he
1: burns through his so he, like, needs fresh ones. Someone um, mentions that he knows someone from back in the day who... Is it Skids who says it? like Skids, Skids says one? he used says- to
0: know a guy who, like you could show him anyone's alt mode and he could tell you where in the body their brain was at that time and like there's another thing that we've gotten into that like Bay is not interested in of like where is his head while he's a car you know
1: (laughs) yeah this is obviously the, the issue is called slaughterhouse the next one is called part two but like yeah everyone has died and except, we are, rewind. except rewind who they find in the kind of the desiccated corpse of ultra magnus minimus has been like stabbed in like killed in such a way where like they knew exactly where minimum was minimus was inside of ultra magnus and killed him in such a way that he couldn't return to to Tyrest, so there aren't two Ultra Magnus armors and like yeah. getting around all this stuff. But yeah, they find Rewind, and Rewind has been recording up to a point the adventures of this lost light that kind of fill in the differences so like because skids isn't aboard like the the way that they find the spark eater plays out differently and rung is the one who dies and the subtle differences that lead to this and then eventually as you say like the djd find them and so like uh, on the
0: you know they made more progress and they got on with the mission but shenanigans did save our crew's life it seems (laughs) so
1: having fun and whatnot has definitely helped them and like there's all kinds of things where like because of this brainstorm never made mass displacement gun which it becomes an issue when they have to try and like turn off the yeah uh, they need
0: need small bodies to fit through all the webbing and it turns out megatron because of his time turning into a small gun he can still make himself smaller which is just a fun thing he can do apparently and And they end up joining up and saving the day and there's some fun stuff like Megatron initially wants to piece out on it because only organic lives are at risk. And he's like, maybe if it was Cybertronians, I would say we need to turn this off. And Skids is like, fuck you. <laughs> he's like, show me where it says I have to do this. And he points at the badge on his, on his chest and he's like, right there. If you're going to wear an Autobot badge but still behave like you did, what's the fucking point?
1: And yeah, that's. I is... also like that like, they, they propose Ravage to go through and Ravage is just like, don't touch me. Like, I'm not. <laughs> don't panic it. <laughs> Uh, speaking of which like
0: like it's not plot relevant but it's one of the most celebrated little sequences in the book they briefly think megatron might have had something to do with it because of the 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 fusion cannon used to kill a lot of them and when they realize it's the djd like tarn uses a double fusion cannon and like megatron agrees to be locked up temporarily while they investigate he and ravage have like this honest conversation about like I was sent to spy on you to see if this is a real change of heart and kill you if that's the case. And he's like, you turned your back on all of us. You abandoned us and we pledged our lives to you. Megatron's like, I realised I became a monster. It's really well written and drawn. And like, Ravage has like such sad eyes at points. And it's just, we know that it's honest because it's not for an audience of Autobots. It's just a one-to-one conversation. And Megatron is like... I basically said some stuff for shock value and then realized it was true and that fucked me up. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's the thing this book is missing in that mm. because most of the characters on board the ship are Autobots, there is mm. no one who is actually disappointed that Megatron is wearing that badge. Yeah. And so adding Ravage adds a very important thing to this book. Yeah. And I wish there were more Decepticons on board. I, know, I don't know right. who, I don't know who you would get. I feel like the, the, the only ones who would be interesting in this way are Ravage adjacent. So it's like yeah. I wouldn't not be surprised if we found out that like Roberts wanted Soundwave. Like if, if yeah. at one or, point like, Soundwave, Soundwave or, was
0: like... or, you know, I think all of his cassettes really like Megatron as well because that's another thing. is, is beasts are looked down on in Cybertronian, so we now have like three hierarchies <laughs> of social stigma. Beasts are looked down on, and Megatron's whole thing is equality. So the beasts really like Megatron. As they they like Soundwave more, but Rabbage will basically become Megatron's pet. And they make a whole thing of like how no one, no wants to pet him, and he's like, "I'll bite your fucking face off." But I think there are going to yep. be some panels later where like Megatron is like stroking his head, and he's cool with it. So it's like it's a fun yeah. little
1: some fun art stuff. Yeah. But yeah, like they managed to turn off the engines, and like obviously everyone's freaking out because they don't know whether or not Rewind will cease to exist once this happened because he was on <laughs> the the other Lost Light. And then yeah, you get he... like there's some really great single pages in these two issues, and one of my favorites is uh, Chromdome comes back, and they just say to him and go like you need to go up on the roof don't ask any questions and mm-hmm. he goes up to the roof and sees rewind sat there and there's this like just one six panel page which yep. is just the two of them no dialogue whatsoever just getting closer and closer until eventually like they lean their heads on each other's shoulders and it's yeah they like it. sidle
0: up to a little quiet hug kind of thing and again for a yeah. book that's
1: very wordy like to have this kind of like dialogue-less page pages
0: is... i talk about it all the time that like you've got to wield the advantages of being a comic book don't just draw a movie like use panels use speech bubbles use that kind of stuff that like no one else has and you can do that with a nine panel grid six panel grid you know we we talked about paneling in our like watchmen podcast and stuff like that but yeah and they do here i think another fun one that is is
1: yeah, plot? leading into like the other the yeah. other plot side of this is what's going on with Brainstorm, which is Brainstorm's well, suitcase, which he's never left aside. Yes, his his, brief,
0: his briefcase that is no, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, his briefcase that has been handcuffed to him for the whole book, and they keep talking about his briefcase and not revealing what's in it. It starts off as just shenanigans where like they find the alternate Brainstorm's briefcase and they open it, and they're in an elevator. So, like, in the background it says what floor number they're on, and then it's another panelling thing. Time is fucked up. So you're reading panel to panel and the conversation doesn't make sense, but then if you're paying attention to what floor number they're on and then follow that order, the conversation then does make sense. It's just a, another really fun, like, using the medium, but then it becomes plot relevant because the two things that have stayed behind from this alternate Lost Light are Rewind and this other briefcase, which is important. And then, yeah, in our epilogue, after the, the lovely thing with Rewind and getting reunited... Everybody is knocked unconscious, and Brainstorm is left standing. The other thing about Brainstorm on that other ship, so he's wearing a faceplate at all times, Optimus Prime wears a a faceplate, several characters do. They do have mouths underneath. His faceplate has a giant Decepticon badge on it, does Brainstorms, so... Heavy, heavy implication, he is a secret Decepticon. Megatron denies any knowledge of this, and he's like, he's not our normal type.
1: And then he says to Nightbeat and says like, just out of interest, has anyone come to you to do anything? <laughs> uh, which is a lovely little character beat of terms of like they go for annoying intelligence, I guess would be the implication, or like amoral
0: yeah. intelligence, I suppose would be part yeah. of it.
1: So and yeah, it does describe Brainstorm, who is definitely amorally intelligent. So,
0: but I think he has shown he has more heart than he lets on. Like his stuff with Chrome Dome in the previous issues where he was like, Hey, don't inject, buddy. Like you've done this so many times and like I think he fronts as like, Hey, I just want to create weapons and kill everything and I'm crazy. But there is actually like a insecure, gold hearted person in there. But yeah. maybe not, because yeah, the, the our oh, big cliffhanger, dun dun dun, is they're all drinking in the bar and then everyone except Brainstorm passes out and he's left there standing looking very menacing all of a sudden. Yeah,
1: and I think is this the first cliffhanger we've had? I think everything else has kind of like put a bow on what this really is. I mean, you could maybe count the the djd going at the end of volume two yeah and like you know tailgate
0: getting diagnosed as dying but that's that's like a minor plot element this is like the plot is to be continued
1: yeah Um, like this is this is what the next arc will be like we will we will find what brainstorms or the, the start of brainstorms plan and like the very next issue will be we'll start getting into that but yeah like
0: I think a really good run for them, even with Dark Cybertron coming in the middle. I think the season finale of, of season one, uh, that volume five, and then this kickstart of the new era, uh, volume six, I think both really, really well done. Reboots the, the book in a way that is good, rather than a lot of reboots are bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think like even with Dark Cybertron, there's enough character stuff in it that makes it not pointless to, to skip, but... yeah. It's just, it's a different pace from what yeah. this book is. Like, I would not be surprised if, like, the, the actual word count per page is, like, drastically cut in Dark Cybertron. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, there you go. This was another long one, but, like, 17 issues we got through in this time. So, and it will not be that long again. In two weeks' time, if you want to do your reading ahead of time, we will be reading issues 34 to 44, which is volumes 7 and 8 of More Than Meets the Eye. So that's two weeks you've got to read. If you are watching along, then by next week you must watch age of extinction if you thought this episode was long you could have listened to it in the time of watching that movie and you still wouldn't be done
1: and you hopefully would have had a better time and I have, to yeah the podcast i think that's almost certain some sickers out there really like age of extinction
0: yeah well they're crazy we'll get into age of extinction next week for now thank you so much for hopping aboard the lost light with us and and reading along and listening along and uh yeah strap in for some dinobots for about seven minutes and (laughs) fraser crane and stanley tucci they're all here all your fun time pals next week Thank you for now. Ben, thank you for your, for your insights as always.
1: Thank you very much for this. This has been fun. I'm going to go sit and read two volumes of this to get caught up in time for <laughs> the next time we read comics.
0: Yes, indeed. And uh, audience, roll out.
1: This is why,
0: this is why we fight. When we die. unbound this is why this is why we fight so come to me